most agency owners work 12 months and then they break it down four weeks in a month. Okay, so if you look at this year and say, if you're doing four weeks, that's like 20 work days in the month. But if you look, there were two months this year that would be 23 days. Okay, should your production be the same? For most agents, it's the same. It's only one month this year that has 20 work days. So I have 21, 22, 23 work days. So I'm getting an extra month a year of production by breaking my production to daily, not weekly, mm. not monthly. Well, that yes. by itself, it's gonna give you 11% increase in production. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. If you represent one of the big captive carriers, there is no question you have heard the name Thomas N. Tuck, the sales simplification guru. There is no question. If you've heard Thomas speak ever, you know he has such a creative way, but a very simple way and a different way to be in approaching sales and just mindset and how to approach all things insurance agency. It is an absolute pleasure to have Thomas on the podcast. I heard him speak at least eight years ago, and I still remember some of the key takeaways from that speech eight years ago that are just burned in my brain. And it takes a special person to be able to kind of make that type of impact on you. I mean, it's a two-part podcast. We talk about so many different things. We could have made this a four-part podcast. We certainly talk about the importance of simplicity, how to do that. He gives so many different examples. He talks about why it's important to structure and think about things on a daily basis as opposed to a monthly basis and how you can immediately get 11% increase in the amount of work days and the output that you get this year if you just focus on this one simple thing. We talk about prospecting, lead generation, we talk about a system for referrals. Obviously, you can't talk to Tom without talking about life insurance. We talk about his background and how that has influenced everything that he does today. We talk about insurance reviews. And of course, we talk about your team and people. I think we kind of covered everything there is to cover. We went for two, two and a half hours. We spoke a little bit before and after, and I couldn't believe how fast the time went. So I'm excited to introduce to all of you Mr. Thomas Intuck. Let's get into it. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads, whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. Direct Clicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating, A-B split testing, and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. 
they also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail, all of which is discussed in depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the Direct Clicks team at directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Thomas, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Thank you. It's a privilege. I think this was a well-kept secret. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, it's not going to be a secret much longer. I have just really looked forward to this conversation. We have so many topics to be able to discuss. And so I've got just a list of things that I think is going to be great for us to have a really great candid discussion about. So we always start with background and origin story. A lot of people know you, but for those that don't, how did you get started? How did you get to where you are today? Can you just kind of take us back and bring us to present day? Well, that would be a whole program by itself, but I'm going to try to condense, do a cliff note. I think when I did a interview with Jack Canfield a few years ago, that was an interesting part. I'm from a small village in Nigeria with a lowly background. I happened to end up working in customs in Nigeria, I see a lot of kids coming back from Europe and United States to go to college. I said, well, I'd like to go, but I didn't have the money to go. So fast forward, fortunately, before you know it, where there's a desire and there's a will to push through. And I ended up in a school in North Carolina. I arrived in this country with one year school fees. So I worked my way through college and finished college. I stayed there doing retail. Then from then, I aspired to do better things for my family. And it was interesting, very simple story that my insurance agent always comes in, hangs out. I looked at him. I said, you don't seem like you're in a hurry. <laughs> <Do anything." laughs> so I took out my pitch stuff the year before. I was the store manager. I said, if I come to work for your company, would I ever make this kind of money? He looked at me online and said, yes. He never told me how much I could make. He just said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the funniest part. I did my research as to which company, and I decided that I would have worked for State Farm Insurance. But then I, when I was talking to Allstate, uh, Nationwide and all State Farm, they all had this test. I don't remember the name. It's been many years now. So I said, okay, so I'm going to go and take the test with the other two. If I fail, then I know what the test looks like because the company I really wanted to go with, I didn't want to fail with them. So I went and took the test and I passed those two. I said, oh snap, what did I answer now that I'm going to go to the one, <laughs> to the one that I really want, want the job? Because now I was afraid. Now that's the one I'm going to fail. So it was a funny story. I ended up getting my agency and did very well in a very depressed market, fed the North Carolina military town. It wasn't an ideal, profitable area, but I did very well. So then I got invited to talk about it every way. I decided, you know what? I'm going to put a stop to it because I'm losing time in my agency when I got invited to speak somewhere else. So I'm going to charge a fee so they'll leave me alone. It actually backfired. I didn't realize that people were willing to pay <laughs> for me to speak. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They were. <laughs> so I guess I'll stop right here, but that's why I'm here. And 
since then, I do a lot of things for agents. I spend more time trying to get agents to get to what I've been. I have qualified for every award that my company has ever put out multiple times. And so I'm no longer interested in adding awards to it. I just get more joy in helping agents to figure out the simplicity of this work and make a living for their family and have fun doing it. And I love that. I love that. So we're going to cover so many different individual topics. I'm going to ask you some questions about prospecting, referrals, distractions, or managing distractions, lead generation, et cetera. The first one that I want to ask you is just really a big question about success. You wrote a book, The Success Blueprint, and I know this is kind of a really big topic. And so take this wherever you would like to. How has success in business and owning an insurance agency, right? Because all of our listeners are insurance agency owners, captive agents, independent agents, et cetera. How has success in owning an insurance agency stayed the same? And how has it changed from when you first started to where you are today? It stays the same in the sense that now looking back as an old man and realizing that when I started, what I learned back then and still admire is that those that are successful at it do not enjoy prospect, but they are foot down and do the things that others, the failures, do not want to do, which is what Ryan Tracy actually wrote about. Until I read it and look, I said, well, this has been happening. I look at people around me. I look at people that started before me. So success has stayed the same if you do the basics. And the things that have changed is the method. When we started, we were canvassing and doing footwork and prospecting, ex-dating, and hanging cards in apartments. Now, people click a mouse and get internet leads and so forth. It's still a different form of prospecting. But I have found that for those that want to succeed in advanced market, for example, big cases, you don't click a mouse on those. Those that want to work with small business owners, since I'm a small business owner, that's an area that I was leading my company for many years. There's no clicking of a mouse. The worst I did was phone calls. Mm -hmm. I don't like that, even though I succeeded to some extent. I like walking into a business with a smile. It doesn't matter if you want to frown or you want. I'm going to ask a disturbing question why you threw me out the door. But someday you think about that disturbing question. I could not do that with a phone call when you're going to hang up on me. So the prospecting, I enjoy. The only thing that I put a stop to my prospecting is COVID temporarily. (laughs) True. So as a follow-up to that, we've never faced more challenges. And this question is not even really about COVID. And obviously when we're recording this, the country is kind of in an ice storm. (laughs) So obviously there's some challenges just right now. But the biggest challenge we have is our cell phones and just distractions because it's easy for us to procrastinate and not do the things that we know that we need to do and to lead our teams to doing the things that they need to do. And so I really want to just take that and have you talk about managing distractions or eliminating distractions because, I mean, that in and of itself could be an entire podcast. So what are your thoughts about how we can go about managing or eliminating distractions so that we can actually execute on the things that we need to execute on? Well, what I did myself and what I'm coaching agents to do is I looked at a situation where I was working myself to death 
And I was so tired. After 11 years in the business, at some point, I said, well, do I really look forward to doing this another 20 or 30 years at this pace? Something has to change. So I just did a very simple math. I listed everything that I do, everything that is there for me to do in my agency, and then looked through that list and said, which of these are the, would I say the top money maker for me? I wrote it down. I went down the list. I picked three. So now I have three things. And I look back on the list to see, do I still keep those three? So those were the three highest income producing activities in my agency that I'm involved in. Okay. Then I ask myself a very simple question. How much time in an average week do I put in in the top three income producing activities? It was less than 20% of my time. I said, now that's why I'm broke. Because <laughs> if I'm putting in less than 20% of my time in the top three income producing activities, why should I expect to do better than I'm doing? So the next exercise, self-examination, and you're going to be honest with yourself or else this will not work. So I asked myself, okay, what keeps me from putting more than 20% of my time? Because I'm a math major. So I looked at it and said, okay, if I'm only putting 20% of my time in the top three income producing activities, if I double that to 40% of my time, not even 100%, mathematically, that would be a 100% increase mm -hmm. in my income in those three areas. Mm -hmm. So why shouldn't I do that? That was my motivation. That's my foundation. So now I started looking at it and say, okay, what are the things that keeps me from putting more than 20% of my time? Hmm. Can I take time from those things and put into just good to 40% and double my income? Not even 100%. Okay. So that's the kind of thing exercise that I do or coach agents to do. It is not complicated. And when I did it for one or two years, and see how well it works. Then I started teaching my team members to do the same. I said, okay, it is interesting to know that the top three money-making activity for each team member is also different. So we do this process not as an office, but as a desk. So each team member will have their top three income-producing activities. Before I, we move to the next topic, let me just give you an interesting discovery. One of the things I did was the same list of those activities. I said, which ones are the top three time-consuming activities? Mm. So I wrote down those top three time-consuming activities. Then each year, I will have a sheet of paper that has the top three income-producing activities. Another sheet of paper will have the top three time-consuming activities. I did that for 11 years straight. Mm. There was no year that one item appeared on both lists, which means that there was... <laughs> so the, the things that makes me the most money were not the things that take the most time. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, Let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. 
Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. So there was a podcast we dropped just a few weeks ago with my coach, Ari, and it really reminds me on what he calls the ultimate KPI. And so it's very similar to what you're saying. So he says, take your top 20 tasks that you do, and then the top four, which is 20%. Ironically, this is kind of where it kind of falls into this, right? He's saying, what are the top four things that really you should be doing? And you're just wrapping that with IPAs, income producing activities. So first question that comes to mind is, for some agents, they love to be in the arena. They love to be with clients. They love to be selling some of these big life insurance cases. And then there's some people listening to this that they don't. They want to drive all sales through their team. So how do you reconcile? Because you just mentioned for team members, it's different. Is it the same thing with agents too? Well, you know, the interesting thing was sometimes when I speak on this, agents will ask me, what are your top three? I said, you know, honestly, that changes every year. It depends on what my goals are. Since I started speaking and traveling, many years, the top three income producing activities is the time I coach my teams to meet their income goals. That makes me more money than me meeting with clients. Okay, so I can do those while traveling. I landed in Chicago airport. I'm driving to Tinley Park. It takes me an hour and a half sitting in traffic. So I call one team member, get in my office. I do a little bit of coaching on what did you do last week? Why didn't you meet your goals? So by the time I get to my hotel, I'm not listening to music. I'm coaching my team members. That makes me more money. Or while I'm sitting in an airport, flight get canceled. I get in the club lounge, you know, quiet section of the club lounge, sitting there with my headset. I'm coaching a team member. So that is one example. So it's not just meeting with clients. There's a year, some year that I designate preparing for appointments as one of the top three income producer activities. So I put more time preparing for interviews than I do actually running the appointments. I make more money that way because I analyze things. These are things that I actually get into in depth with people I coach. I love it. Okay. So somebody goes to this and says, okay, this makes sense to me. We're recording this in February. So we drop this in a few weeks. So they say, all right, I'm going to establish what my top three income producing activities are based on my goals for the year. And that makes sense that it can change every year. Here's my question. How do we keep this top of mind? Because I mean, how many times have we done something that we knew was a good idea, but then a month, two months, six months later, we stopped doing it because it works so well. So how do you actually keep it throughout the year top of mind and don't forget about it? Because I mean, that's a real thing. We actually forget the things that we said we were going to do. Well, number one, you write it down. Number two, you measure and have checkpoints. So for me, every quarter, I'm going to see, is there anything I want to change? Did I meet my goals? If not, why not? Did I follow the plan or did I drop the ball with the plan of action? And make it known to the rest of the people in the organization because they're going to be checkpoint also. They hold me accountable because you're going to do what you say. You practice what you preach. And sometimes I reach out to agents like yourself. I would say, you know what? Here's my plan for the year. Don't let me derail. Mm. Hold my feet to the fire or at least. And so many people I work with, they just shoot me an email. 
hey, boss, where are you? You were supposed to be an X, Y, Z. Because I put myself up there as coaching others to succeed. And like this year, on this 90-day blazing thing that I'm doing, this is the first time since 2009 that I'm actually participating with the people I'm coaching. So they want to know what I'm doing. It's just my way of staying engaged. I didn't have to. I haven't done it since 2009 to 2020. I did. This year, I said, you know what? That's the kind of thing I do to make sure I'm on track. So write it down, measure, and then have outside accountability. Because as a small business owner, nobody's holding us accountable. I mean, even if the company you represent (laughs) has a leadership level or whatever, at the end of the day, you're doing what you want to do in your business. And I think that that can be, we've heard it's lonely at the top. And I agree with that, right? I mean, because who's actually holding you accountable? So having that peer accountability or somebody saying, hey, this is what I said I want to do in my business. Hold me accountable to that. I think that's gold. It doesn't have to be somebody at the top. You can have even your receptionist in your office say, this is what I need to do in 90 days. Make sure I'm there or remind me I'm there. It's embarrassing for you to tell your receptionist you're not shaping up. Mm, I love that. That's powerful. It really is. (laughs) I didn't know if I was going to ask you this or not, but there's a new, I guess we'll call it a new social media app. It's called Clubhouse. And it's kind of all the hot thing now that people are jumping on. And Elon Musk recently jumped on there and he said, uh, somebody asked him a question and they said, how do you stay motivated? And he said, if you're an entrepreneur, I think he was speaking to entrepreneurs specifically. If you're an entrepreneur, if you need motivation, you don't need to be an entrepreneur or something to that effect. And I do agree with that to a certain extent. But at the end of the day, our energy goes up and down. I mean, just hearing you talk, you're motivating. So how can we as small business insurance agency owners stay motivated throughout the year. I mean, 2020 was a unique year and then it's still challenging right now, but how do we stay motivated to be able to hit our goals and the things that we want to do in our business? I'll give you two reasons that governs mine. One is my Bible training. The scriptures said there's more happiness in giving than there is in receiving. So I had followed that all my life till in 2005, I was submitting a program suggestion to Million Dollar Roundtable, and they were trying to come up with a coaching and mentoring program. And we did analysis that any agent that is willing to mentor another agent had a 14% increase in their production. Wow. (laughs) So it's like, if you don't have time to help someone, it's fine. It's understandable. But... Just by being willing to mentor one person could result in a 14% increase in your productivity just because you're helping someone. So my motivation comes more from reaching out and helping agents. It's not about just the money. I wish I could do all of it for free. So what I have done, I have created a network whereby I have agents like Brad. I have agent Tom. I can come to you, Brad. I said, you know what? There's an agent that really needs help. If you can even do one hour a month, reach out and help this agent. So I have matched agents with other successful agents to be mentored because I can't mentor everybody. But I do reach out and help with cases. Those are the things that keeps me excited, keeps me motivated. And I get a lot of emails really appreciating that. So I'll I, I love that. That's not what I thought you were going to say. But I think that that is, no, that's, I love it. Because think about it, what you're saying at 14%, 
if you make $100,000 a year, you make $100,000 a year, a 14% increase is $1,000 a month to your family by just pouring into somebody else. Absolutely. I read a Chinese proverb a few years ago that said, you cannot light a lamp to lead somebody's path and your path is not lit. Man, love that. There's nowhere. So that's fantastic. (laughs) Okay. So now one of the bigger topics I wanted to talk to you about is you discuss so many of your concepts, they come across so simple. And I actually posted in one of our Facebook groups, a quote from Steve Jobs, where he talked about just the importance of being able to scale simplicity, whereas you can't scale complexity. We never start out with our teams, our sales processes. We never start out with the idea that we're going to make this complex. Never. Nobody ever says, let me see how I can make this so complicated for my team. Why does it seem to drift towards complexity? And how can we kind of back out of that and truly be able to make it more simple? Well, for me, two reasons. What I see sometimes, I think people don't mean to complicate things, but it's like we think the more information we complicate things, the greedy part of it is maybe it makes me look smart or it makes me justify what I'm charging for in some sales products. But insurance is one of those things that it is so simple if we can break it down because there are many, unfortunately for me, I happen to have agencies and areas where a lot of immigrants that were not exposed to insurance, the same way Americans have been. So when you start explaining insurance, it's a complication. So I always figure out simple ways to break down insurance. So I'll give you two quick examples on auto insurance. I look at an immigrant and say, insurance is simple until you decide to complicate it. You choose how much the insurance company should pay when you have an accident and you pay the rest. That's what liability insurance is all about. So when you go to Geico and you get a state minimum limit, you have selected that you want the insurance company to pay 25000 and you pay the rest. So agents will spend time trying to tell this immigrant to do two fifty five hundred or get higher limits. And to the immigrant, you're trying to get money out of them. So for me, I simplify it very well. I said, right, you know what? You choose the insurance company to pay 25000 so you pay the rest. Have you saved her enough money to pay the rest? Yeah. And you said, no. I said, okay, in my office, I help people do one of two things. I can show you how we can pay more when you have an accident or help you save money to pay the rest. So, Brian, could you write these three numbers now? $50, $100, $300 more. How much can you start saving monthly to pay the rest when you have an accident? Even if you pick $50, $50 is enough for me to get you the maximum limits of liability. And then I can explain that to you. But see, to you now, people are willing to buy the state minimum and save money to pay the rest. All I do is show them how we can use some of that money they're saving to get the maximum limit. Let my company put up that money for you. But by simplifying it that way, people are more willing to buy higher limits, buy umbrella policy than me trying to explain the risk of losing their house or paycheck or anything. That's complicated to me. And so agents love that webinar that I do on how to convert auto when you're not competitive by simplifying, explaining to my immigrants. In fact, let me say this, I'll shut up, I hope I don't offend anybody. I'm an immigrant, but I have never seen an immigrant that bought insurance 
for protection. They buy insurance as a necessary evil that the government wants them to buy. So they want to come out the cheapest way possible. And then we go along with it. Okay. That is fantastic. I love it. Because one of the next things I was going to get into was talking about commoditization and just repositioning our mindset regarding just the insurance has just been so commoditized as many other industries have, but insurance especially. And it's price, 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 say 15%, we'll save you this amount of money. I mean, it's all about that. And so it's hard to push against that narrative that's out there on a national scale, right? Ultimately, if you read all the advertisements nationally, you could just quote your insurance with every company. And before you know it, you'd be down to $0 if everybody could save you money. So now how do we do that whenever we're trying to simplify maybe something within our team? So in other words, simplifying goals that you have for the business. So this is more internal facing simplification and not external with the customer. So can you talk about that? Well, what I do See, you've heard of 12-week year and all those things, okay? Most agents, most agency owners work 12 months, and then they break it down four weeks in a month. Okay, so if you look at this year, I actually did something in 2021 and see if you're doing four weeks, that's five work days. That's like 20 work days in the month. But if you look, there were two months this year that would be 23 days. Okay, should your production be the same? For most agents, it's the same. It's only one month this year that has 20 work days. So I have 21, 22, 23 work days. So I'm getting an extra month a year of production by breaking my production to daily, not weekly, Mm. not monthly. That by itself, it's going to give you 11% increase in production than any other agent just by tracking it daily. (laughs) We'll just stop the podcast right there. We'll just stop the podcast right there. That's it. That's golden. I love that. If I knew you were going to ask the question, because I I have a sheet of paper that actually took 2021. I broke it down because I do this with my team. This is 2021, and we did it. We ended up with 21 extra days of production because what you look at is if you're going to do monthly, your rent, your light bill is 23 days for that month of the year that is 23 work days. Why are you producing or operating as if it's 20? So that alone can be a game changer for most people without exerting yourself to do anything different. So I take my goal and break it down to daily. And it is easier to track daily production and catch up when you're behind a day than doing weekly or monthly. Okay. All right. So let's do some math on this to give some people some context. I love this. And so you and I think very similarly. And then you're a math major. I'm not a math major. Okay. I'm not. But people tell me I'm kind of analytical, which is funny because I don't feel like I am. But I do a lot of running of the numbers and trying to make it simple. And so I guess I do play around with numbers a lot like you do. All right. So let's say somebody said for our office this year, make it a nice round number. They want to write a hundred thousand dollars in annualized PNC premium, right? So they're going to write 1.2 million in annualized premium for the year. 
and from that, they think that they're going to grow, I don't know, 200,000, 200,000 in premium. They're going to lose, churn a million. They'll grow 200,000. Let's just say roughly. So instead of it being 100,000 a month, by doing it daily, so how many days, how many work days do we have in 2021? I did, I like 268. 268, 268. So if you did 1.2 million divided by 268, we're doing this live, that's $4,477 in premium. So actually, if your day, if you said we're going to write 5,000 in annualized premium per day times 268, you would actually end up writing 1,340,000, which is an extra $140,000 in annualized premium. That's an extra month of premium you just wrote and you just grew your book $140,000 in premium. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So this is a good segue. This is good. The conversation just kind of goes into the next thing. So I really want to talk to you about lead generation and about prospecting. That was a big topic I want to discuss with you. There's a lot of different avenues. You mentioned earlier about the methods that we go through. So I want to talk to you about just prospecting in today's economy, one. And then I want to kind of go down into conversion, right? So first talk about your thoughts on lead generation and prospecting today. That's where I would tell you that's my weakest link. But people wonder why I succeed the way I do is because I am not good with transactional trade mails, with bringing in leads. And I'm not going to dispute or condemn something I'm not good at. So I have never really gravitated into buying a lot of leads and trying to generate volumes. What I do very effectively is if you're breathing and I'm talking to you, I have systems in place that I get referrals from people that don't even buy from me. So everyone that I talk to should like something about me that I can get referrals out of them. And so I have a system. In fact, one of the top agents in our company bought into that system and generated over 400 leads in one year Mm. just through referrals. Every agent you talk to said, oh, yeah, they believe in referrals. They do referrals. But very few agents have a system. And I don't pay one cent to get referrals. Let me tell you my psychology on that. You may disagree. The question I will ask you is, if you go to a restaurant to eat and it was awesome food, excellent service, when you come out of that restaurant, you call friends and relatives raving about what you just experienced, encouraging them that next time they go out to eat or they're out in that side of town, go check it out, right? When they go in there, they spend money in there. Did you do that? to benefit the restaurant owner, or you wanted your friends to have the experience? Yeah, you did it because you wanted your friends to have the experience, for sure. Okay. So why do we do referrals from a standpoint of by asking you to give me a referral that you're doing me a favor? No. If I give you a remarkable service or experience, or I was honest in trying to give value to our time, you should wish that on somebody you care about. I shouldn't have to pay you to get that. But that's a different class. I spend time educating people. Once you get that down pat, then you 
do things and you get referrals. So we get a lot of referrals. I don't buy lead and prospect. When I hire a new person, I can get a few leads just to let them practice on cold calls. But as a method of marketing, marketing is done by referrals mainly. I mean, just even that number of 400, if you had 400, you have an opportunity to quote 200 of them. You have a closing ratio of 50% of those. That's 100 closed households right there. That's generating probably 400 to 500 new policies just from generating 400 different referred names in a year using that system. I think that what you're saying there is in order to get referrals, you have to be referable. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So basically in the referral process, we dumb it down so much because we're making it about the $10 gift card and not about the experience that we're giving. That's the point. And it becomes a transaction. It becomes a commodity. Let me take it a step further because some people have heard me speak on this. I am a believer of one thing. To convert in this business, agents are converting one or two out of 10 leads or 10 calls. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And they do that over and over. What I teach agents to do is that slow the process. Don't jump on the bandwagon because Geico said 15 minutes can save you 15%. Mm-hmm. Insurance says seven minutes or eight minutes you can get a quote. I don't want to go to five minutes. So where do I fall? I said, no, I'm going to take 20 minutes or I'm going to take 15 minutes. So I'm going to say to Brian, I'm going to slow the process. This is a system I teach agents on slowing the process. If you try to slow that process, guess what happened? Two people will drop off. Mm-hmm. They are so hyper. They're not patient. They want you to give them instant price, right? Mm-hmm. So if two people drop off the 10, the eight that is left, if I take them through my process, I will convert four of the eights. So I actually save time because I'm presenting to eight people, not 10. Most agents present to 10, but the hardest thing to train agents and team members is to let go of those two that are dropping off Mm -hmm. because they think that could have been a customer that might buy. But you know why I don't think of those two? Remember the statistics. You quote 10, you convert two. That means eight did not buy. So when I slow the process, the two that drop off in my mind is two out of the eight that I wasn't going to write anyway. So I don't wonder. The benefit of this too, that's really kind of left unsaid and which will kind of be the next topic is it goes straight to the bottom line because you don't have to spend as much in marketing. Now that doesn't mean we're saying don't spend any money in marketing. In fact, I'm going to talk to you about that in just a second, but you're not spending money on leads that are you're just going to churn through which there's people that listen to this that buy a lot of leads. I get that. So we're not saying necessarily that leads are bad. You're just coming at it from a different angle to be able to say the business can be more profitable and you can get better business, stickier business and extend the lifetime value of the customer by approaching the referrals. It's not even just referrals. It's the way that you approach referrals because you can get referrals by giving them a gift card and then making that transactional, which almost defeats the point of the getting the referrals. Well, the other thing is this. I will challenge any agent that wants in 30 days, we can try it both ways. If you take the same money you buy leads and put your team members through my referral training and pay them the same money you're paying to the leads company, your conversion ratio will be double. Well, what are your thoughts on marketing today? 
I mean, there's so many different places to put our money. And let's not talk about sponsoring the kids, your local high school's t-ball team. People are still going to do that. You've got to do that because you're in the community and that's just part of what you do. There's some branding that kind of goes on with that. But what are your thoughts around marketing today and maybe how that's changed from 15 years ago? Direct mail, as an example, was probably a big thing. You know, you'd send out thousands of pieces of paper. Well, is that still a viable medium? Well, branding, it's hard to really tell what would be really making a difference. I like to spread things out. I have a budget and I said, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of direct mail. My company, fortunately, they have different things. They can do some mailing and some multi-lining opportunities through my book of business, but they also do other things outside. So I participate on the average, but I don't just go dive in and put too much money because uh, some of those brings, I do see responses from time to time. And whether it is billboard or bus stops or some of these marketing things at the metro stations, those are just to get your name out in the community, depending on the size of your community. If you're in a big metro area, you make a decision. Each one of those have pluses and minuses. I drive to speak in smaller areas and see billboards. So what? That's a good way to get your name. People don't just respond. Even newspaper ad. When we first started this, I was one of those that always said, well, how many people will look at my ad on a Sunday paper? And then two months down the road, they get the insurance bill and they say, oh yeah, let me call Thomas. They don't even have the paper anywhere around. They don't know who I am anymore. So did it work? But sometimes they see your ad in the newspaper and then they get a direct mail from you or come out of a metro station and see your sign. You don't know which one will eventually trigger. So a little bit of multiple options are still good. Don't get me wrong. It's just each person, it depends on your community and the market you're going after. But for me, what I do the most is pick, like if you have a SBDC, like small business development, SBA programs in your community, if you go to a center like that and focus on small businesses, sponsor some things, then I get 30 to 40 small business referrals every year because of what I do at small business centers. That's good marketing for me instead of randomly blasting neighborhoods with direct mail. So each area and your comfort level for what you're looking for could also drive your marketing. So I hear diversification is kind of like investing. I kind of hear diversification yes. And, yes. and tailoring yes. it because what works in Seattle, Washington may not work in DC. It may not work in North Alabama. So on and so forth. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Wow, what a podcast, right? So many things came out of that podcast. I mean, I don't want to try to repeat everything, but just the 21 extra days of production as that shifting the way that we kind of look at our structure of our weeks, that is incredibly important to focus on the daily activities. And that's something we've all heard, but whenever he's put a number to it and quantified for it, it really resonates. You say, wow, that is important. We talked about income producing activities. So what do we need to do? We need to write it down. We need to measure it. And we got to have some accountability behind that. His focus on having a system for referrals, not being transactional in what we do with our prospecting and our lead generation. And the insurance industry has been facing for quite some time commoditization of just the business as a whole. And so the way that he simplifies things, but comes at it from a different perspective, I think is one that is 
you know, simplicity scales, complexity doesn't. But I don't think we ever set out, whether it's our compensation plans or whether it's the goals that we have in the business, we never set out for it to be complicated. Ultimately, it just drifts that way. And so what you really focus on, there's a great book that's been referenced on the podcast many times, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And he talks about definiteness of purpose or what is really referred to today as intentionality. And I don't think that we ever design things to be complex, but ultimately it drifts that way. We think it's one thing. We have a simple solution or head about strategy or goals or team compensation incentive plans. But over time, it just adds to it. And so I think that this was such an amazing podcast to go back to. You know what? Things can be very straightforward and very simple for our teams. Business is highly, highly complex, but there are parts of business that can be very straightforward if we are intentional about doing it. I heard it said one time, if I had more time, I would have said less. If I had more time, I would have said less. Sometimes it's harder to say less than it is. In fact, it is harder to say less than it is to be able to say more. Thomas, thank you for everything, the impact that you're leaving on the world, the small dent that you're making on the universe. Thank you for what you stand for. I know that we're going to have you back on for a third and fourth and many other episodes to come. If you're interested in working with Thomas, go to intuckspeaking.com. It's N-T-U-K speaking.com, intuckspeaking.com. You know, on the podcast, we talked about lead generation. And one of the best ways to do that is to go to directclicksinc.com. Reach out to somebody on the team. Their trust, transparency, family focused, getting to know you and what your goals are in your business. They're not just trying to make a sale. They want to keep you as a lifetime customer. And as trends change, you want to make sure that the people that you're working with stay on top of things. Things are changing in the industry. Things are changing in marketing in general. And so you want to make sure that the companies you're working for are forward thinking and are going to do things to make sure that they keep you top of mind, stay relevant so that ultimately you can drive more leads, convert those leads and grow your business. Go to directclicksinc.com. We appreciate their sponsorship. They are first class people. I wouldn't talk about them every podcast unless I really believed in what they do and believed in the quality of people that they are. Go to directclicksinc.com. Until next episode, lead well.